Well, good morning again. Welcome to Bible Center Church. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. It is great having you with us. If you call Bible Center Church your home, if you're new to us, or if you're joining us online, uh, before this crew totally gets out the door, would you just join me in thanking them for all the work that they do? Reminds me of the Sunday when the power went out and, and Stephen was doing some kind of a hot wire job into our generator, which probably, uh, probably shouldn't have been on the video of me just saying that. But uh, these guys work hard behind the scenes. I'm so thankful for all that they do. Please open up your Bible or your Bible app with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 is where we'll begin. I want to invite you back tonight to our uh, Char- Christmas in Charleston concert. I was here last night. I'll be here again tonight, 630 It is well worth your time. Now, those of you who are musicians, uh, it'll be well worth your time. You'll know everything that's going on. You'll be a part of the action. For those of us who are not musicians, it is still well worth it. A lot of fun. I wish they would have just continued playing last night. Hope you'll be here this evening at 630. Please stand with me out of respect for the Bible. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The Bible says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we continue our series, our four-part series on Hope Has a Name, and we're looking at the four names of Jesus from Isaiah 9-6. He is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This morning, with this third Sunday, we're in the middle of talking about Jesus as our everlasting Father. So I want to ask, when you hear the word Father, what kind of things come to your mind? What images, what feelings, what memories come to your mind? Uh, For some of us, there's a lot of good memories that come to mind when we think about our father. Uh, Here's a picture of my dad. My dad attends here at Bible Center. Uh, He was here this morning in the early service. I gave him a little heads up like, hey, dad, I'm preaching on dads, uh, but I love you and I'm thankful for you. I've got a lot of great memories with my dad. He's very young. Uh, As you can see, he's 62 years old. I think he's going to live forever. Uh, I love hanging out with my dad. Maybe your dad gave you a lot of good memories, or even if it wasn't a dad, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a mentor, maybe it was a teacher. But I also realized this morning that for others of you, talking about fathers can be a a difficult subject. And so at the very beginning of this message, I want to confess to you that I'm going to do the very best I can to preach what the Bible says, but I never want to pretend like I know how you feel. Because if there's ever been a morning when I don't know how you feel, it may be this morning. And so I've asked God to help my tone to be right, my words to be right, my illustrations to be right. So I appreciate your prayers for that. But maybe you had a dad who was never there. You had a a father who left uh, for uh, his own choosing. He left you. Maybe you had a father who passed away, and again, it wasn't his choice. Um, But man, you would have loved to have had him at pivotal points in your life. Maybe you had a father who was there, but he was never really there. He was there physically, but he was never, he was always too busy to connect with you. Uh, maybe you have a dad who is, who is uh, emotionally disconnected. Maybe you had a father who abused you. In a crowd this size, statistics would say that there's a number of you that have experienced physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, or something far, far worse. 
And so when I talk about dads, this can be a very, very hard subject. I read an article this week on the Gospel Coalition website where a young man wrote this. I was 25 years old before I could say the word father while praying because of the kind of relationship or lack of relationship I had with my dad. It didn't roll off my tongue the way it did for many of my Christian friends. How could I come to God without fear when I had been scared to go home whenever dad was there? How could I understand God's love and faithfulness when dad left town because he loved something or someone more than me? How can God be a mighty fortress of protection when dad hit instead of hugged? Unfortunately, this is too common in our society. Eric Metaxas pointed out that almost all the famous atheists of our time, Freud, Nietzsche, Sartre, Hume, Bernard Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, all had one thing in common. That's an absentee father or a traumatic experience with their father that led them to make the decisions that they made. Sociologist Vern Benson said in his book, Families and Faith, studies conclusively show that the quality of the child's relationship to the father is the single most important factor in whether the child adopts the faith of the parents. And Freud also noted, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. Now the stats, of course, there's a statistic for everything. 87% 87 of statistics are made up, right? Uh, But I I think this is pretty close to accurate. According to fathersforlife.org, 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of teenagers in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. And a recent California school study noted that 98% of all of its discipline issues were caused by emotionally damaged boys whose common characteristic was father loss. Now we zoom out for a minute and think about Isaiah 9-6. I've been saying for the last few weeks, this isn't just a Christmas verse, but when this verse was first given by Pastor Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, there was no Christmas. It was given in a very troublesome time to very troubled people. And when Isaiah spoke it to King Ahaz, Ahaz was troubled. He knew fatherlessness. You see, Ahaz's grandpa contracted leprosy. And as you read through the Old Testament, you find that his grandpa Uzziah was quarantined for the last part of his life. He couldn't hug his son. He couldn't hug his grandson. And so King Ahaz knew something about seeing a father being cut off, being taken from your presence. Ahaz's father, Jotham, was a very, very busy king. He was made king when he was 25, and he only lived about 20 more years. And for the 20 years of his reign, he was so busy, tradition says, building buildings, increasing the size of the walls, preparing his military because they felt they could be invaded at any moment. He was so busy that he didn't take time to pass the faith of his father down to his son, Ahaz. And so Isaiah now, Pastor Isaiah, is speaking to this pagan king, this king who has rejected the faith of his father, the faith of his grandfather, and he's telling him about how God is going to come as a baby and that he is going to be an everlasting father. Now, this would have been a strange concept to Ahaz. Ahaz didn't have that that perfect fatherly relationship that so many of us long for. And so what I want to do this morning is explain how Jesus is a far better father 
than your favorite father figure. Jesus is a far better father than your favorite father figure. If you can say that five times fast, I'll give you a piece of candy after the service. Before we dive in explaining what we mean by this, I want to take just a second and kind of clear up a theological question. If you're new to the church, uh, you may have not heard all about this yet, but if you've grown up in church, you've heard about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so maybe when you think about Jesus being called Everlasting Father, you're a little confused like I was confused. How could Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, be called the Everlasting Father? We're going to get into more of this next year. Through 2019, Pastor Mike is going to take our core classes through core, like 50 core doctrines, and we're going to learn why we believe what we believe. What does the Bible teach about core doctrine? And one of those is the doctrine of the Trinity. But for short, I'll explain it this way. The doctrine of the Trinity, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, was progressively revealed as the Bible was written. Not everything in the Bible was written in the first chapter or the first book, or, or the first few books. Throughout the, throughout the history, as the Bible was being written, there were doctrines that were clarified. And so by the time you get to the New Testament, after Jesus, the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly, it's clearly espoused, even though we don't understand it. So Isaiah 9-6, the goal here is not to explain the doctrine of the Trinity. But the goal is simply to say this. When the Messiah comes, when this baby is born... He is going to grow up, and his nature, his character is going to be fatherly. He's going to be father-like. He's saying that Jesus in his relationship to us is like the father we've always wanted. Everything you've ever dreamed a father could be, everything you've ever wanted from your earthly father, Jesus is and will be for eternity. Jesus is perfectly father-like in the way he leads you and me. If you're taking notes, John 14, 9 is a great verse to remember. It's similar. Isaiah was saying something similar as Jesus said in John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So here's what we're going to do in the next few minutes. I'm going to do my best to show what kind of father or how fatherly Jesus is. Now, this is a hard sermon to prepare because essentially we're preparing a whole sermon about two words, everlasting father. And so what I've done is I've taken four descriptions, four actually dysfunctions of fatherhood, and I'm going to show how Jesus is far better than those. I get the four, the four dysfunctions from Stephen Poulter's book, Father Factor, How Your Father's Legacy Impacts Your Career. So the four main headings of his book actually help us show what Jesus is not. Jesus is a far better father than your favorite father figure. Let's go ahead and dive in to these four. Number one, what is Jesus eternally better than? Well, number one, he's eternally better than the never satisfied dad. The never satisfied dad. Who's the never satisfied dad? This is the dad who, no matter what you did, never seemed to be proud of you. Never proud. I had a friend like this. Every time we'd go to his house, and this guy was black belt. He made straight A's. He was a class officer. He had accepted Jesus into his life. But no matter what he did, it never seemed to be good enough for his parents. It was embarrassing for us because no matter who, which one of us would go to his house, his parents would verbally compare him to us. 
And they would say things in front of him and in front of us. Hey, why can't you be more like? And it was like, man, I'm not coming to your house anymore. This is embarrassing for me as it is for you. But maybe you had a dad like that. Kids who grew up in this kind of home try to prove themselves, constantly trying to, or they're tempted to try to prove themselves to their father and eventually prove themselves to other people. We see it out on the basketball court. It's that dad who's screaming the entire game. Now, I'm not talking about screaming for the game itself and cheering. I'm talking about that dad that just berates his son or berates his daughter the entire game. Think about how that son or daughter grows up. Unless the grace of God intervenes, and it can, often that son or daughter will grow up doing the very same thing to other people in their life. Often those are the meanest kids on the team because they berate all the other kids on the team. And then they carry that into the boardroom. They carry that into their workplace. Often these are the men and women who grow up who maybe were lived with a never-satisfied dad, but now nobody can satisfy them. There's no self-awareness. Maybe you know somebody like that. People who grow up in this environment often forget how much they hated it when they were children. And they often are tempted to do the very same thing when they become adults. If you have a dad like this, or if you had a dad like this, maybe you constantly ask, am I good enough? Will God like me more if I could only make more money, be a better Christian, be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better church member? Then maybe God will like me. And the purpose of my message this morning is to say Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is better than that. That's not the view of Jesus in the Bible. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and in his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. When our girls were little babies, we came up with some songs. I wrote a song for both of the girls. I'm not a musician, so I used tunes that already existed, and I put words to the tunes and would sing it to them when they were little. But you know what happens? Your kids get older, and and we we forget to go in their room and kiss them goodnight, and we just simply in the hallway give them a kiss on the forehead and go to bed. And I've been going to bed earlier and earlier. I don't know what that means. but um, So here lately I haven't been singing to my girls. And while we were at Disney World, one of them just said, just just a casual comment. She said, you know, I miss that. I miss it when you'd come into our room and sing over us. And so it's just a reminder. There's something within us that craves love and attention. Really, we're all kids. We're just grown-up kids with mortgages. That's what we are. (laughs) This morning, did you come in here just craving that somebody would make over you? That somebody would tell you they love you and that they're satisfied with you? Maybe God brought you here for me to tell you Jesus can be satisfied in you because he satisfied the wrath of God. Here's what I mean by that. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is that verse that says, um, Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. He gives us that parable. So we often can misquote that verse to think that if we do good enough in life, we do enough good works, that somehow God will one day, when it's time for us to go to heaven, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, here's the problem with that. 
You and I are not good enough to ever be told that by our own works. We're not. I wish I could tell you that you were, but you know you're not, and I know I'm not. We really aren't. But that's why Jesus had to come and live the perfect life and die on the cross and raise again. Jesus couldn't just have shown up on a Friday, died on the cross, raised on Saturday, and went back to heaven on Monday. It was impossible. He had to live the perfect life. And so for over 30 years, he showed us what it's like to totally do good, which is why God the Father accepted his sacrifice on the cross. And so that's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the cross, when God the Father sees his children, he sees you just as righteous as Jesus Christ. You say, Matt, that's heresy. No, that's the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news. You see, this, we call this the, the doctrine of justification. That's just a big fancy word to say that when Jesus died on the cross and raised again, when you put your faith in Christ, your sins are gone past, present, and future. And so the Father sees you right now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You say, but Pastor Matt, I know I'm not righteous. I didn't act righteously this week. Neither did I. But that's the joy of the gospel. It's not based on our good works. It's based on his good works. That's why God can be satisfied 100% with you. Before we move to our second point, this isn't a message for fathers, but I, I do want to share with fellow fathers. We're on the journey together. Some of you have already walked down that road and your grandpas, maybe even great-grandpa. And so I'm on the journey with you, still growing and learning, but I'll share what I'm learning. Every possible opportunity you have to praise and encourage your kids, take, please take that opportunity. Tell them you love them. Tell them what they're good at. Take pictures of them. If you've got a phone to take pictures. Be Michael Scott on The Office, who had so many pictures, he had to get two cell phones and two phone plans because he, he wanted to show all of his pictures off. Be that guy. I want to be more that guy. Jesus is far better, is a far better father than your favorite father figure. Number two, quickly, Jesus is eternally better than the time bomb dad. He's eternally better than the time bomb dad. This is the kind of dad you just never knew quite what to expect. If he'd had a bad day at work, the smallest thing would set him off. You ever been the time bomb, Dad? I have. This past week, it was Friday, and Friday is typically about my day or half a day off. And, and so I took my youngest daughter to school. She had to be there early for a, an event, and I came back to pick up my oldest daughter. And, and I thought I had like five or ten minutes to eat breakfast, Right? I'd planned my morning out, but things weren't going quite like expected. Traffic was a little hectic, so I didn't get back quite in time. For breakfast, now that I know I'm really not gluten intolerant, I've been eating two pieces of toast smothered in peanut butter, sprinkled with peanuts covered in honey. It's a very healthy breakfast, right? Um, 
I'm going to have to rethink that a little bit here this, uh, this winter. But I thought I had five minutes to eat my breakfast. And so I'm just enjoying my peanut butter toast. And my daughter, oldest daughter comes downstairs and she's like, Dad, it's about time to go. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it's about time to go. And I'm looking at the clock on the stove. I've got a cell phone, I've got a GPS watch, but for some reason the clock on the stove rules our house. I have no idea why. Right? We, no, the clock on the stove says I've got plenty of time. And she says, no, Dad, it's time to go. And I get grumpy, right? I know you've never been grumpy, but I got grumpy. I'm like, you know, very Neanderthal. I'm like, you know, can't a guy have time to eat his own breakfast? Good night. It's not even 8 o'clock yet. And then about that time, Katie takes her phone. She's respectful, but she holds it up, not quite in my face, but, you know, this far from my face. And the, GP, or the time on the phone is 8 o'clock. So the time on the stove was wrong. And so I grumpily get in the car. Now, I probably gave you the G-rated version. You can ask her for how it really happened. Uh, but I know what it's like. We all have bad days. But I want to encourage you that God is not the time bomb father. Time bomb dads are hard to love. Stephen Poulter says that negative effects are so great that a number of anxiety disorders have their beginnings in this style of fathering. For example, kids who grow up like this can become control freaks in response. When their dads exploded, flew off the handle, their lives crashed, and so now they want to control everything in their life. Psychologists call this hypervigilance. It's similar to PTSD. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, a system was put in place to make sure it would never happen again. And so now we can see every bit of activity in the Pacific Ocean around Pearl Harbor within a 5,000-mile radius. But that's often the, what we do if we grew up with a father who is the time bomb dad. We control the people around us. We hold our spouses under our thumb. We try to hold our children under their thumb. Uh, we exude these, these hyper-controlling tendencies. And I see it in my heart, and maybe you see it in your heart. And it's a response often to maybe what we've received in life. Alcohol and drug abuse only magnifies the problem. And what I want to declare is that Jesus is better than that. That is not Jesus. It says in Psalm 103 in verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus tried to explain the heart of the Father, he told a story about a prodigal son. And the story really was about the Father, not the Son. And he said that when the son came home, the father had been looking out the window every day. And finally, when the sun crested the horizon, the father, the scripture says, ran to meet the son. If you want to know God's heart towards you, look at the father in the prodigal son's story. He's not a time bomb dad. He is a gracious, forgiving, loving, merciful father who is standing here this morning ready to receive you home. Jesus is not the never satisfied dad. He's not the time bomb dad. But we learn that he is far better father than your favorite father figure. Number three, Jesus is better than the emotionally distant dad. He's better than the emotionally distant dad. Who's the emotionally distant dad? Well, it's the kind of dad 
who may have been stable and consistent, he never abandoned you, he never abused you, he just never expressed emotion to you. This is very common in West Virginia, kind of Appalachia, it's just the way, sometimes it's the way we've been trained or raised in our culture. Maybe your dad never made you feel special, never told you you were proud, he was proud of you. Bo Jackson, somebody from my era, probably one of the greatest football and baseball players combined, he said this, my father has never seen me play a football or baseball game. Can you imagine? Here I am, Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room and envying every one of my teammates whose dad would come in and talk or celebrate with him after the game. I never experienced that. You ever watched Talladega Nights? Some of you are already thinking it. Ricky Bobby kept leaving tickets for his dad at Will Call, and his dad would never show up to watch him race. That's the emotionally distant dad we're talking about. Poulter says that kids who grow up in an environment with an emotionally distant dad, they fail to develop healthy relationships with their fathers. They often struggle to develop healthy relationships with others because they've never learned to open up emotionally. And so there's not a healthy connection with their spouse, not a healthy connection with their children. They really don't have close friends. And according to this book, when they go through pain, they often isolate themselves further. They tend to do life even more alone because of the pain they've experienced. Jesus isn't like that. The good news is he's not like that. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. If you've never experienced a Father lavishing his love on you, please look to the Scriptures and try to experience and feel and believe and know that your father loves you. He lavishes his love on you. That's not a wimpy thing. That is what the God of heaven, the mighty God, the warrior God of last Sunday, that's what he wants to give you and me. Those of us who are fathers, let's ask our children how their day was. Let's ask our children how their heart is feeling. Let's look at them and again tell them that we're proud of them. Let's tell them what they're really, really good at. They crave it even if they don't know it. When I was growing up, again, I'm very thankful for my father uh, connecting with me emotionally in these ways and being interested. Um, but I remember, you know, some of my friends, there was this thought in church that the father's job was to do two things. Father's job was to provide financially. Put food on the table and a roof over your head. If you were a dad, you put food on the table and a roof over your head, you'd done your job. I want to plead with you from one dad to another. Think about that for a minute. Groundhogs do that. They really do. So if you take anything away from this sermon, by God's grace, take this away. Let's be better than groundhogs, right? Let's give more to our children than just food on their table and roof over their heads. Jesus is a far better father than your favorite father figure. Lastly, number four, Jesus is eternally better than the absent dad. He's eternally better than the absent dad. Who's the absent dad? 
This is the dad who just wasn't there. 40% of children in America right now live in fatherless homes. Counselors say it often, or it can manifest itself, in this background of sadness that the kid lives with and he doesn't quite understand. The kid doesn't understand why he or she feels alone or why children grow up with this nagging suspicion of everybody. If there's not a father present in the home or if the father's emotionally distant, there's this suspicion like everybody's out to get them. Often fatherless boys grow up, they can grow up, with no one ever really showing them what masculinity looks like. And so they find it in creative forms of rebellion or sexual prowess or, or other, other forms of violence. Girls without a father in their life are more tempted uh, to find acceptance with boys in other ways that can be harmful to them and harmful to others. One study showed that 90% of female porn models were sexually abused. 90%. Now think about that for a moment, fellas. Next time you're tempted to look at porn, think of this. 90%, if that's true, that means either that woman was sexually trafficked to do what she does, or you say, well, no, she chose to do it on her own. Even if she chose to do it, what led her? What happened in her life? What did her uncle do to her? What did her father do to her? What did her cousin do to her to make her think that somehow it was okay for her to use her body in that way? Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not abusive. Jesus is eternally better because he is eternally present. Instead of us taking the abuse, Jesus took the abuse. He put his, nail, his hands on the cross and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He said, abuse me. Don't abuse my children. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This Christmas, maybe this is your first Christmas without your father. Again, I don't know how you feel. Maybe it's your second Christmas without your father. Or maybe it's been years. I love how Isaiah says he is the everlasting father. And I'm not saying don't grieve. Please grieve. But in your grief, my prayer is that this message, and as you think through on the next, few, next two, three weeks, that you'll remember that you have a father who will never leave you nor forsake you. And death will only bring you closer. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is a far better father than your favorite father figure. If you forget anything else this morning, I want to invite you to do this. In the next few moments, I'm going to give you time to pray. And here's what I'd like you to do. Maybe there's three types of people here. Maybe you're here with a lot of anxiety about your past, your present, or your future. And as you think about Jesus being your everlasting father, I want to give you a few minutes to pray. Just talk to the Lord. Let him know what your fears are, what your anxieties are, what your frustrations are. And just get it out. Just begin that conversation, especially if it's been a while. So I'll give you a few minutes before we get, uh, go throughout our day and get caught up in the hustle bustle of lunch. Maybe, maybe you had a father who, who was one of these four. Out in the lobby, I was amazed at the feedback. People saying, hey, I grew up with a number three. I grew up with a number two. Several dads says, hey, I can be a number two sometimes. I can be a number three. I can be number one. 
So I think God's going to do some things through this message. So I want to invite you, if you grew up in that situation, think about what it is about God that you've been missing that you didn't even know you were missing. And just begin to meditate on that in the next few minutes. And I'm praying that the healing process will start. Will the healing take place in three minutes? No, it probably won't even take place in three years. But I pray today will just be the beginning of the conversation between you and God. And then lastly, maybe you're a dad like me, and as I've studied for this message, you're thinking, man, whew, I can be a little bit like this number, number two, number one, number one. Whatever it is, ask for God's forgiveness. Ask him for the grace to have an open conversation with your children or your grandchildren or your spouse and say, hey, I want to be more of this. It'd be so easy for us to get in our cars today and, and our kids get in the car or us to call our kids on the phone and say, yeah, well, you just need to think about all the good that I provided. And they should. And they should. But what would God do in your family this Christmas if you would say, hey, pray for me as your dad. I really want to grow in this area. And just be transparent in that with your family. Think about what the Lord could do. So I invite you to take just a minute. I was thinking this week about how much fathers love to hear uh, from their children. One of my daughters was having a kind of a rough, rough morning, and, and uh, she typically doesn't text a lot to me. She's in school. Um, but I knew she was going to have a rough morning. And so we prayed about it on the way to school, and she started texting me. Hey, this happened. This went well, better than I thought. This went well. I got this done. And she's like blowing up my phone. Now, for me, blowing up my phone is like three texts, right? You blow up my phone. Hey, well, it was probably more than that. But I loved it. It like made my morning. Just unusually so that my daughter would take time to text me and tell me how things were going in the morning. It brought me so much joy to hear from my daughter. And this morning, it will bring God so much joy in the next few minutes to hear from you. Blow up his phone. Tell him what's on your heart. Ask God for his grace. Ask God for his forgiveness if needed. Ask God for the ability to forgive somebody else. But bring your anxieties, past, present, and future, because he's already been there. He's already there. He is your everlasting father. Let's take a minute right now and pray. Our father, in the next few minutes, as my brothers and sisters talk to you, I pray that this morning would be kind of like that first visit to the doctor. It doesn't bring complete healing, but I pray the conversation will have started. Lord, we need you as a people. We need a lot of grace. And I'm asking that this Christmas we would be mesmerized by the everlasting Father. Take just a minute and talk to him.
Lord, again, we thank you that you stepped into our world as a child. Unto us a child is born. This is for us. Thank you for showing us what a wonderful counselor looks like, what a mighty God looks like. This morning, thank you for showing us what an everlasting Father looks like. I pray you'd help us to know you more and show you more this week. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of all of our services, we do three things. We pray, we give, and we sing. I want to invite our chairman of our deacons, T.J. Meadows, to join me on the platform. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take our offering, and then we're going to sing our closing song. And I want to invite T.J. to share. Will you help me welcome him, a chairman of our deacons, T.J. Meadows? Amen. Good. It's a good job. Oh. Is it on? Great. Nice. I like the Ricky Bobby reference. Were you in the first service, dude? I was. Okay, good. Thanks, man. I was waiting on a little shake and bake, though. It didn't happen. Are you a NASCAR fan? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, good. These aren't the planned questions that we practiced. You're oh, just going to totally break this up. Okay, good, good. Uh, well, I did want to ask. We talked earlier. Will you share a little bit about how you came to Bible Center? Yeah, sure. So around 14 years ago, uh, at the time my girlfriend and I, we were looking for a place to attend church. We were looking for... Uh, a place that had people that were in the same stage of life that we were. And she was actually, she's an accountant by trade, and her firm at the time actually did the church audit. So she came in and asked the pastors a bunch of intimidating questions like whether or not they'd ever stolen any money from the church or if they'd ever defrauded the church in any way, got all the right answers, and then she said, you know, I think this is a place my boyfriend and I would like to be at, so we've been here ever since. Nice. So I'm glad to know our books are clean. Books are clean. That's good. Will, will you introduce your family? I'd love to. So if you take a look, that is my wife, Amanda, and someone came up to me after the first service and said, man, you really married up. I was like, thanks, appreciate that. I played. <laughs> Our son, Connor, will be four years old, December the 26th. He's downstairs now. Our daughter, Kensington, is also downstairs. She's a year and a half, and we are very blessed and expecting a little girl at the end of January. Nice. Good. Do you have her name? Share it. We do. And I, I might have gotten in a little bit of trouble after the first service for sharing it. Okay, good. Uh, but her name is going to be Ramsey. Nice. So you got more trouble just now. Exactly. Good. <laughs> so everybody received a handout called the Christmas Offering in their bulletin. Michelle talked about it earlier. Can you give us a little bit of a summary as chairman of the deacons about what that's about? What is the Christmas Offering? Yeah, and you can feel free to take this out and we can look at it together as, as we go throughout. But basically what we want to do, in years past here at Bible Center, we've had a Christmas card out. And we've done some amazing things with that Christmas card offering. We've started schools in far ends of the earth. We've uh, helped medical missions with vehicles. We've done a lot of things last year. We put together funding for our special needs ministry that's happening downstairs. Uh, this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. Every dollar, every penny that you give throughout the month of December is going to be part of our quote-unquote Christmas offering, unless it's otherwise designated. So if you've put money in for a special cause, rest assured that money will go to that cause. But what we want to do with that money is fund the ministry throughout the end of the year. You take a look at this uh, handout here, you'll see 45 people were baptized at Bible Center Church mm, last year. That's exciting. Over 800 people received medical care in our free medical clinic. 1,500 people on average every Sunday come through the doors. That takes a lot of money to make happen. I want to be very candid and transparent with you. So we need to fund the expenses of our church. After we meet that funding level, Anything that's left over throughout the month of December, we're going to throw toward all in and attack our debt. But we have to fund our ministry first. 
And what's that amount we need in the month of December? We are budgeted, and it's a big number, but we do very big things here at Bible Center Church. $716,000 is what we have budgeted for the month of December, of which roughly 80000 has come in so far in the month. So that means we have about 630000 and change to go. 15 days left. 15 days left. Nice. Big number. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about the... Um, the urgency of this, if you were going to speak to your church family, what else would you say in terms of urgency? Like, just speak your heart. So what I want to say to you first off is, uh, first off, rather, we're all family here at Bible Center, and we want to be very transparent. So what I'm telling you this morning is our budget versus where we're at, and I want to be very candid with you on that number. Uh, if we're going to do the things that we've always done and that we want to continue to do here at Bible Center, we need to step up to the plate, and we need to knock this out of the park, and we need to do it right now. There is no time like the present. And the good news is we have had higher December goals than this in the past, and we've knocked them out of the park. So we want to go into this excited. We want to look at, at this as an opportunity. And quite frankly, we want to crush this number two. And one of my mentors always says, if you're going to have an elephant for dinner, you've got to bring a lot of people to the table. It's going to take a few very, very large gifts. It's going to take many, many medium-sized gifts. And it's going to take many, 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 many more small gifts. So everybody here, ask the Lord what he would have you do. Think about it. Pray on it. And I'm going to ask you to step up to the plate and do what he would have you to do. You did a good job early this morning sharing in the first service different ways to give. I think they even put a, a slide together. What, what, can you explain these ways, at least six different ways to give? Absolutely. So we want to make it very convenient for you. You can pick up the phone and text BCCWV to 77977. You can go online to our website at BibleCenterChurch.com. You can hit us on the mobile app, and if you don't have that yet, you can go to your app market, whether you're an Apple guy or a Droid guy, you can pick up the app there. We have boxes at the fireplace. If you're old-fashioned and you want to send in a Christmas card and do it by snail mail, send us a card and drop your, your gift in with that. Or in just a moment, and I actually have to take up offering this morning as well, so you people in this section, that's where I'm hitting, get ready. Uh, we'll have the offering basket available as well. What if you're not old-fashioned, but you just like Christmas cards? That's perfect, too. That's good, too. Okay, good. I'm glad about that. Man, thanks for sharing, TJ. Thank you. We, we love you, bro. And I'm just going to pray. Pray yeah, right man. now for the offering. Thanks. Father, I pray that you will use us uh, to be all in for the gospel and for the city. Lord, for 75 years, you've used us. We ha you know we have no outside funding uh, to do this in the city. And Lord, now as our ushers prepare for the offering, I pray that you will help us to go all in now in the present for the gospel and for the city. Uh, Lord, we have a great history of meeting budget, and we want to do that as we get to January 1st. Um, but Lord, help us to think bigger, no longer just wanting to meet budget. Help us to want to meet vision and to be all in for the gospel and for the city with 186,000 people in Kanawha County and only 10,000 in evangelical church this morning. There's a lot of work to do. So God, help us to reach them for Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Bless every gift. You know our heart. It's the motive that matters. I pray that our motives will be pure and that we will worship you through this offering. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.